0: Welcome back to the Sean S. Show. Today we're going to be talking about the future of the Republican Party in part two of my multi-part series covering the future of American politics. Today we're going to be taking a look at rising stars and leaders in the Republican Party and who I'm watching for 2024 and what they have to say about things. We'll be taking a look at those people today, June 25th, 2021. From Anchor by Spotify, This is the Ishaan S. Show, with me, your host, Ishaan. Welcome back to the Ishaan S. Show. It's great to have you all back on. Let's get right into today's topic. So today's episode, as you heard from the opening, is the second installment of the Future of American Politics series, in which I take a look at where I think American politics is headed in the post-Trump era. Today, I'm specifically going to be talking about the future of the Republican Party. Now, here's the deal. I can't talk about the future of the entire Republican Party because that's unrealistic uh, for me to do. Anything as big as a political party, you can't analyze every bit of it. So instead, I'll be talking about the up-and-coming leaders in the Republican Party who I think are going to run in 2024. Now, full disclosure— Former President Donald Trump will not be on this list just because, as I have said repeatedly on this show, Donald Trump is, the, is a strong leader, probably the strongest leader in the Republican Party. So technically not a rising star. And we always are watching him for his next political move. So I don't think we need to really cover him because we, always, we know a lot about him. Now, with that being said, the next leader of the Republican Party is going to have a lot of responsibility, the biggest of which is navigating their party through a transformation that hasn't been seen since Ronald Reagan took office. Former President Trump transformed the Republican Party in a manner that no other president I've seen um, been able to do for a long time. And it's quite impressive how he changed the platform for the party very quickly and his presidency was marked with so much, um, you know, so a lot of interesting stuff. He managed to switch the Republican Party um, over and over. And even while he's been in office, there have been continued affirmations of support for Donald Trump. So he's held on to the party in a very interesting way. And the next Republican leader is going to also have to emulate that, I feel. Maybe not transform the party again, but at least take on that mantle for uh, for Donald Trump. Now, a large part of this list is Trump administration alumni, who many pundits have been watching very closely. In addition to that, Trump allies and foes from all kinds of backgrounds are also on this list. A quick disclaimer. The people on this list and their political views are not in conjunction with mine necessarily. I have formulated this list from a neutral and objective standpoint and have looked at the numbers, policies, and past to inform my decisions on who to put on this list. Now that without further ado, let's get into it. So first on my list today is Nikki Haley. Most of us know her from her time at the United Nations as a fierce advocate of Trump foreign policy at the global level. In addition to that, she's also the former governor of South Carolina and a former state legislator. I think Haley is a really good candidate to take on the Republican banner in 2024 from a political standpoint. I'm 70% sure she's going to run for president in four years. Well, three years now. Haley has two major advantages that I feel will help her a lot. First, she was a UN ambassador and a governor. Two jobs that give her domestic policy experience foreign policy experience and executive leadership experience. And in my view, that's really important in this day and age. Having at least a vision of what you want to do or at least you can tell people that you know how to do stuff. That's and that too in two different realms of politics, it's it's a very helpful skill. And second, I think Ambassador Haley has a certain type of unique appeal for voters that most other candidates on this list just don't. I'm not sure how she does it, but she has time and again shown that she appealed to the Trump wing of the Republican Party in 2016 and beyond. And before that, I guess we knew them as the Freedom Caucus or the Tea Party movement. She appealed to them and the moderate wing of her party. And that's explained at least some of her electoral success, because, um, from the twenty sixteen nomination process, she did not initially support Donald Trump. Uh, I think, I think. Um, hmm. Oh yeah, she supported Marco Rubio initially. Uh, after Marco Rubio dropped out, Nikki Haley then supported Donald Trump. Donald Trump then gave her a position in his cabinet. That's interesting because they feuded too. Uh, they clashed um, on the as national leaders. They clashed in front of the American people. Um, you know, on things like Twitter and stuff, despite that she managed to get herself a job in the Trump administration. Now, these two qualities, while not plentiful, are definitely very resourceful for somebody running for federal office and If she doesn't become the nominee, which the numbers are indicating at six percent, probably are not in her favor at the moment, I'd watch her for vice president or another powerful positions like. Secretary of State, which Donald Trump had initially offered her in 2016, but then she rejected due to a lack of experience. That's why she got the UN job. Now another South Carolinian, Senator Tim Scott, is another Republican who I think is a strong leader within his party. Now do I think he's going to run for president in 2024? Well, maybe. The thing with Tim Scott is that he's pretty politically savvy and he knows when to do things when it's right for him or a greater cause if he chooses not to run in 2024, it definitely won't mean that he won't run for president in the future. I think a presidential run is written in Scott's future. I think he definitely will run for president at some some point, but not necessarily 2024. Scott like Haley, who initially appointed him to his seat, has this certain kind of appeal that allows him to tap into all parts of the Republican spectrum, moderates, Trumpists, etc. His center right policies play very well for him, and the wide consensus is that he's liked by many of his colleagues um, on both sides of the aisle in the Senate, and he's liked by his party. He, um, you know, he has that appeal. And if he doesn't run in 24, he can definitely run in 2028, 2032 and beyond. Like we know that I know that something's written for him in the future um, in terms of, you know, further office. He actually delivered the official Republican rebuttal to President Biden's joint address to Congress in April. That's a big deal for rising stars in the Republican Party. For uh, context, Nikki Haley also did this in 2016 for when she delivered the rebuttal for Barack Obama. Tim Scott was also selected to do that this year. And uh, that sprouted him a lot of 2024 buzz, because usually many people who get selected to this stuff, they end up doing pretty well. And it's a good indication of where the party sees you. Now, one thing that's applicable to Scott and Haley, for that matter, is that both of them are from an emerging battleground, electoral battleground region, and that's the American Southeast, which includes states like Georgia, North Carolina, of course, South Carolina, and Florida. Of these, Florida and North Carolina are traditional swing states, while South Carolina and Georgia are changing Georgia in 2020 and 2021 elected Democrats to the U.S. Senate and they elected a Democrat for president. South Carolina races have gotten slightly but gradually more competitive over the past few years. These two candidates have a proven history of winning by convincible margins in this region and have shown their capability of winning here more than once. So nominating them to some position, could have an effective means of securing the region back. Because right now, um, I guess with the exception of Florida, this region is kind of falling out of Republican hands. Not entirely yet, but it is falling out. So maybe if you nominate somebody from this region who has a record of winning here it could help secure the region back for Republicans. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was their reasoning behind, you know, it will not be their reasoning, their official reasoning, but for political purposes, if that's their reasoning for nominating one of these people, it makes sense. Now, I'd expect Ron DeSantis to be a household name in all political households by this point. His rise as Governor um, in the past two and a half years, I would say is remarkable. He started off in the military, became a congressman, and was also a founding member of the freedom Cong- Freedom caucus while he was there in the house and That has been a big group for conservatives and libertarians and I would say it kind of prompted donald trump 's two thousand and sixteen run or at least inspired the you know the fuel behind his run uh, the support that that type of stuff. Um, uh, So Ron DeSantis was a founding member of this group of Republicans. And in 2018, he was elected governor of his home state of Florida. Now, DeSantis is a darling of the right, and Donald Trump also really likes him. A big stamp of approval in this era of Republican politics. I feel the defining thing slash event from his governorship is probably going to be his handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. For DeSantis and most governors, actually, COVID has been super weird. Shoots up one day, goes down significantly the next day, and the press has no idea or doesn't just doesn't understand how to cover this. So for DeSantis, who had an awkward encounter with COVID in his state last summer and winter, I think was heavily scrutinized for that. But then this year, the recovery and vaccine distribution effort have done, I'd say, pretty well. Um, He also has done a lot to increase the Floridian economy, bringing more jobs to state and business, which is super appealing uh, for equality for somebody running for um, president in the future. I know many people that are moving to Florida because they cite the economy is so good there or that um, or that people were just traveling to Florida because, you know, they didn't have this strict mask stuff going on. I won't say where my position is on that stuff, but I know many people that we're going to Florida on vacation. There were actually weddings that people were going to in Florida for this stuff. So the way he's handled the virus um, may have been a little rocky. But right now, the vaccine distribution has done better than most states. I think that's really good going for him. Now, in terms of his political aspirations, I'm 80% sure that if President Trump does not run in 24, then DeSantis is most certainly going to. And he probably has the best shot at winning the nomination for that matter. In a CPAC straw poll from February, DeSantis polled at 21% when competing against Donald Trump, and then 43% when Donald Trump wasn't on the list. Mind you, that any number north of 20% in a primary with more than five candidates is great news. I'd also like to mention that he's had a proven record in Florida, a swing state. That's a great asset. We'll need to see where those numbers go, but I think Ron DeSantis is probably one of the stronger candidates on this list. On that same straw poll from CPAC earlier this year, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem came in second place behind DeSantis with 11% of the vote. Nome was elected as governor of the state of South Dakota back in 2018 after vacating her seat in the House of Representatives representing South Dakota's outlarge congressional district for eight years. While she was relatively unknown for her first year in office um, last year, her name recognition shot up following her handling of the COVID-19 pandemic in her state. Most notably um, of her policies was probably not using any mitigation strategies like mask mandates and stay-at-home orders, citing that she wanted to respect the personal freedoms and responsibilities of her constituents, while governors from both parties were feeling pressurized to implement these strategies in their own states, regardless of how long they were, they were implemented in most now for this gnome garnered both praise and criticism praise from many right-wing circles and the former president and criticism probably from democrats which um you know in this time makes sense uh but uh and it makes sense because like the democrats usually in their states they have all these mitigation strategies um that they've been putting up now It can be said that COVID did not spread in her state for those initial months of the pandemic. And I remember the Mount Rushmore 4th of July celebrations last year. Uh, Not much actually in terms of COVID happened there. Uh, But later on into the year, COVID cases spiked in Nome State and today um, South Dakota has one of the highest per capita case rates and death rates in terms of COVID. On a national stage, Nome would need to explain her decisions as governor and how she handled it. However, for a primary, Noam is a darling of the right and uh, also has the support of former President Trump, like her colleague Governor DeSantis. That and coming in second place in one of the first polls for the 2024 election season indicate a strong standing for Noam. And like Haley, if she doesn't win the nomination, I would definitely watch her for a VP selection, regardless of who the nominee is and any higher office she seeks, like Senate. Okay, so we're halfway through our list now. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after the short break. For many Republicans before the 2020 election, Mike Pence was probably at the top of their list to succeed Donald Trump in both scenarios of the 2020 election. And it made a lot of sense, too. Pence has the experience of running on a national stage and bonus points for winning one back in 2016. Vice President is the only other government position in the United States to have the title of President in it, other than President of the United States. And Pence is one of the few people in history to have the opportunity to watch the presidency up close, probably without the filters that we get to watch the presidency through. The experience that Mike Pence has garnered from his time in office is similar to that of Joe Biden, George Bush, Sr., and other VPs alike. Regardless of your opinion about these people, they do have a lot of experience. And Pence can stand on a debate stage and claim that he was at all times a heartbeat away from the presidency, which is substantial experience and confidence for most of the American people. So if he is to run, I don't think anyone is going to question his experience. In addition to serving as Veep, Mike Pence served as governor of Indiana and a congressman representing the state. Now, if I was a political operative, I would say these are all great assets for a candidate. But where where I would have to think twice is when I look at the actual politics of a Mike Pence candidacy in the Republican Party. A big rift was created between Mike Pence and Donald Trump following the 2020 election over certification of the Electoral College on January 6th, and we all know what happened that day. Ever since, Mike Pence has seemingly gone into hiding. While it appears that Trump and Pence have mended their relationship, there are still many scars. And if I can be honest, I know one I I mean, honestly, no one really knows what Mike Pence means when he talks about his time in the Trump administration's last days. Sometimes he praises it, and other times he takes passive-aggressive swipes at the former president. He's not very popular among Republicans anymore. And while Pence, in fact, while Pence was giving a speech at a Republican dinner, some attendees began shouting traitor, traitor at him. I can't say these reflect everyone's sentiments, but they do for many. And Donald Trump hasn't even said he whether or not he'll consider Pence for the VP slot should he run again in 2024, saying it's "quote too soon to tell." Now, with that being said, Mike Pence does seem like he's constructing some sort of political operation, traveling very conveniently to early primary states, getting more involved now. So, no matter what's going between going on between the former running mates, I think. We're going to be seeing Mike Pence's name in our headlines in time for the 22 of midterms and beyond. Ever since 2016, the Trump name has been associated with success in the Republican Party. That's probably the most obvious statement I've made so far today. So, what if your last name is Trump? Does that equal success? Probably. The Trump siblings, who, for the purposes of this episode, we're going to say are Don Jr., Ivanka, and Eric Trump, and their spouses, have shown a lot of interest in politics. Donald Trump Jr., for example, has said that he won't rule out a run for office in the future, but not for the time being. Now, when he talks about his future in politics, I'm specifically looking at the state of Wyoming, where many thought that he would run for the Senate seat there in 2020. Of course, he didn't run, but his repeated attacks against Liz Cheney, Representative Liz Cheney, after that, indicate some intentions in Wyoming. Um, and it shows, and, and the fierce opposition to some Wyoming um, Republicans who don't support Donald Trump, it's shown a lot of buzz for him to uh, in that state. Ivanka Trump, Trump's oldest daughter, and her husband, Jared Kushner, moved to Florida after Biden's inauguration. That decision sparked a lot of anticipation of a potential Senate primary against incumbent Marco Rubio this year, to which Ms. Trump denied but has a lot of experience as a senior White House official to take on a position in politics like a Senate seat. Now, while Trump's younger son, Eric, hasn't shown much interest in um, political office, his wife, Laura Trump, was rumored to have been considering a run for U.S. Senate from North Carolina following the retirement of incumbent Richard Burr, which would have changed the dynamic for the Republican primary there. But then uh, Mrs. Trump announced not too long ago that she had decided not to run in order to focus on her family life. Now, with these three people, there was one thing in common, Trump and their, well, two things, I guess, Trump and their last name, and then number two, even the idea of them running for political office in their respective residences sparked a lot of excitement from the base, and they probably would have all easily won their primaries and, for some, their elections. So while all three have declined to run this year, their influence indicates a bright future in the party and gives us a perspective on the power that they wield. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has emerged as an unlikely political force since he left the State Department. He's been very open about his own presidential ambitions and has been very proactive in his pre-campaign campaigning. Out of the pack, he's been traveling to early primary states more than most others and has been far more outspoken than other Republicans. Like Haley, Pompeo has experience in both foreign policy and domestic policy from his time as a congressman from Kansas and then his tenure as CIA director and Secretary of State. With all that said, I feel like Pompeo is very visibly trying too hard to grasp onto the uh, onto the mantle of his party. What I mean is, out of everyone else, um, for me, he's doing a lot of campaigning and, oh wait, no, pre-campaigning, pre-campaign campaigning than most others on this list. And sometimes it's, you know, in some occasions it's been seen as a bit of a weak point for some candidates. Now, we haven't really gotten much to see of Pompeo in a national uh, political arena as much, but compared to most of his Secretary of State predecessors, he's a lot more involved, like Hillary Clinton was. Overall, I wouldn't bet too much on Pompeo, and we need to see a lot more from him, but he'll probably end up in the headlines somewhere or the other. Now that's who I have on my list as of right now. I think as time goes on, this will definitely change. Others will join this list. Some will get bumped off. I know I didn't mention some prominent people like Senator Ted Cruz or Representative Matt Gates. That is mainly because within the past few weeks, I haven't seen a whole lot from them, and they're always on these kinds of lists anyway. But things will change on this list for sure. I am I may definitely add, you know, these people or, you know, other people onto this list in the future. And uh, that's all we got for you today. Stay tuned for the next installment of this series where I'm going to talk about the future of future leaders in the Democratic Party. Follow us on our Instagram at The Sean S Show and on Twitter for breaking news and updates about the show. I look forward to seeing you all on Tuesday. Bye.